Good morning, church family. I don't have anybody here that lives with me, but you're all my family. So good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, join me this morning in reading today's scripture, Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is God's word to us this morning. Friends, by global standards, practically every one of us in this room is ridiculously rich. Ridiculously rich. Uh, the Pew Charitable Trusts the research center released a report a couple years ago comparing U.S. and global populations by income, and I wanted to read a short portion of it. If you track better by listening, listen. If you track better by reading, read. The U.S. stands head and shoulders above the rest of the world. More than half, 56% of Americans, were high income by global standards. 
living on more than $50 per day in 2011. Another 32% were upper middle income, $20 to $50 a day. In other words, almost 9 in 10 Americans had a standard of living that was above the global middle income standard. Only 7% of the people in the U.S. were middle income, $10 to $20 a day. 3% were low income, 2 to 10 a day, and 2% were poor, less than $2 a day. Compare that with the rest of the world where 13% of people globally could be considered middle income in 2011. Most people in the world were either low income, 56%, or poor, 15%. And relatively few were upper middle income, 9%, let alone high income, 7%. I read that because you may feel like your finances are tight. But you need to know, friends, that practically every one of you listening to me right now are among the top 15% wealthiest people on this entire planet. We read Matthew 19.23 and we think... Jesus is talking about Bill Gates. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In reality, he's talking to us. He's looking at you when he says those words. And he's saying in no uncertain terms that the wealth we possess is one of the most, if not the most, greatest spiritual dangers we face. And it's called the test of prosperity. When we last left Abram in Genesis 12, he failed a test of adversity. Right? There was a famine in the land that God promised to give him, so he traveled to Egypt, where he stopped trusting the Lord, he gave in to his fears, and, and he jeopardized God's entire program to bless him and every other nation, by the way, by managing through his smarts to get his wife Sarai abducted into the royal harem. So ends the wisdom of man. And he thought he was smart. He was spinning the truth in order to save his own skin, but it wasn't wisdom talking, friends. It was unbelief. And his unbelief, his lack of trust in the Lord to take care of him, that soil gave rise to a plant of fear. And that fear turned around and disguised his unbelief, disguised that bad soil as wisdom. And yet... Where Abram was faithless, God remained faithful, right? We saw that last week. He miraculously delivered Abram and his wife from Egypt. So if you look at Genesis 13, verse 1, and you read, so Abram went up from Egypt, that's not a throwaway line. Okay, that, that is a screaming, flashing, neon-like testimony to the faithfulness of God that that man went up from Egypt. The Lord kept his word to Abram. That's the point. Even when Abram failed to trust the Lord in the face of adversity. But in Genesis 13, the test changes. 
It goes from being a, a test of adversity, or yeah, a test of adversity, to a test of prosperity. Look at Genesis 13, verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, remember something before you put him in, oh, he's one of those guys. He's a, he's a one percenter, okay? By global standards, we are very rich. You are Abram. And our riches are dangerous. Why? Because they tempt us to try to control our life with money instead of entrusting our life to the Lord. That's why they're dangerous. Lord, I don't believe that I'm secure, that I'm safe, that it's going to go well with me because you're my father. I mean, you're great and all. I, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but, but what I really need is just a little bit more. Just a little bit more money. Just a little bit. Not much. I'm reasonable. Just a little bit more. And I need to protect the money I already have. Then I'll be good. Now, now is wealth inherently bad? No. It's not. Okay? There's nothing inherently godly about poverty. So what's wrong with the attitude I just described? That the problem is that my confidence for the future, that it will go well with me, isn't in the Lord, it's in my money. That's the problem. I might say, praise the Lord with my mouth, but mammon is sitting on the throne of my heart. I'm not living by faith, trusting God to provide for my needs. I'm, I'm living by sight, trusting the riches I possess to meet my needs. And if you want to know what the main point of this entire story is, I'd summarize it this way, okay? Genuine faith, biblical faith, it does something. You know what it does? It exchanges trust in the riches we possess for trust in the God who provides. That's what biblical faith does. It, it exchanges something. If you've ever traveled abroad and you... You have to go through a currency exchange. Biblical faith exchanges something. It exchanges, it gives away, lets go of, abandons trust in the riches we possess to cling to trust in the God who provides. And that faith, that Godward trust, that expresses itself in Abram's life in two ways. Two points of this sermon this morning. Each of these is a sign that Abram, despite all his silver and gold, he isn't trusting his riches. He's not trusting his material prosperity. He's, he's not grasping and clamoring for the best the world has to offer. He is trusting the God who provides. That's what I think God wants to do in our hearts through this word today. He wants to strengthen our faith to trust in the God who provides, not, not the riches we possess. Okay? Point number one, faith frees us to practice the generosity of God. Remember, each of these points is a way that, that faith, this exchange, expressed, lived itself out in Abram's life. The first one, faith frees us to practice the generosity of God. If you look back at Genesis 13, we know from verses 3 and 4 that, that Abram has resumed walking by faith, turning away from the unbelief he embraced in Egypt because of what we read here. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, 
to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You know what he never did in the land of Egypt? He never called on the name of the Lord. Why not? Because he wasn't interested in what the name of the Lord had to say back to him. All he cared about was what seemed wise in his own eyes, which was really fear masquerading his unbelief. But now, thanks be to God, he's repenting, he's turning away. And those two phrases, where his tent had been at the beginning and where he had made an altar at the first, are very significant. Because that's the author's way of telling us symbolically that, that Abram is turning back to trusting the Lord. He's turning back, okay? So he's loaded with silver and gold, but he's not trusting his silver and gold. He's not worshiping his silver and gold. He's worshiping and trusting the Lord. And his faith in the Lord, resumed faith here, it expresses itself in a visible and powerful way in his relationship with Lot. So if you look at verse 5, Lot, like Abram, is a wealthy man. What's what's he have? Verse 5, flocks and herds and tents. Now to those of you who are looking at that thinking, Flocks and herds and tents. I mean, where's the iPhone 8? Okay, in that time period, if you had flocks and herds and tents, you were loaded. All right? You were loaded. And in fact, Lot and Abram had so much collective wealth, their possessions were so great, what, what do we read here? That the land could not support both of them dwelling together problem of prosperity, okay? And and technically, neither one of them owned any land, right? Why? Because they're nomads. I mean, God promised all this land to Abram back in Genesis 12, verse 7, promised to give it to him. But for now, look at chapter 13, verse 7, who's living in it? The Canaanites and the Perizzites. So Abram and Lot are just sojourners. They're nomads. And and the pastures and water sources available to nomads like them are too limited for their livestock to graze together. And that creates a problem. There's competition created by their material abundance. And it's so bad, verse 7, that there's strife between Abram's herdsmen, shepherds, and Lot's herdsmen. Essentially, you've got one saying, that's my grass. (laughs) No, that's my grass. That's my grass. I mean, it's, just think toddlers, right? It's, there's strife. My grass. You get the idea. And, and as the elder member of the family, we have to remember this, friends. Abram had every right to tell Lot to get out of Dodge. He had every right to do that. Why? Because he's the elder. He's Lot's uncle. It wasn't Lot's responsibility to accommodate Abram. It was, it w- reverse that. It wasn't Abram's responsibility to accommodate Lot. It was Lot's responsibility to accommodate Abram. Why? Because when it comes to all the cultural and familial rights, Abram's holding all the cards. All the cards. All the rights. All the privileges. It's all his. It's Lot's job to get out of Dodge. So what does Abram do? Look at verse 8. He lays down his rights for the sake of pursuing peace. Let there be no strife between you and me, Lot, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. 
Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. In other words, Lot, you, you do whatever you want to do. You take whatever seems best to you, whatever you want, and I'll take the leftovers. That's what he's saying. We need to think about that, friends. What, what is driving that kind of humility and unselfishness? What, what engine is sending that car down the road to say those kinds of things? What's an implicit trust in the Lord, right? An implicit trust in the Lord. Abram doesn't insist on his rights. He's willing to be wronged because he's confident that it's not his work or his actions or his protective schemes that will ultimately bring the promises of God to pass in his life. Who does that? God does. In Egypt, his lack of trust in the Lord attempted to arrogantly control Pharaoh's actions through manipulation. In Bethel, his renewed trust in the Lord freed him to humbly submit to Lot's decision. And it wasn't resignation. It wasn't just whatever, quesara, sera, okay? It was a clear expression of renewed faith that the author of Genesis flagged for us at the beginning of the whole chapter. It's, it's implicit faith in the Lord that's prompting him to say that. So, so think about this. What does is, what is unbelief say in a moment like that? What's unbelief say? Unbelief says, God is not in control of my life. Man is. People are. Therefore, I must manipulate them and control them in whatever way is necessary in order to extract good from them. Unbelief. What does faith say? Faith says, the plans and desires of man will influence my life and affect my life, but they are not ultimately in control of my life. God is. God is. Therefore, I'm free to love them. I'm free to serve them. I'm free to lay down my rights and privileges for the sake of peace because I know that the life of blessing isn't something I extract from the hand of man. It's a gift I receive from the hand of God. That's faith. Psalm 84:11 For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. You're never going to find a living human being who can truthfully say that about themselves. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Right? It's not, it's not the one who trusts in man, who tries to extract through manipulation and control and insisting on my rights. Blessing from man who is blessed. Who's the one who is blessed? It's the one who trusts in the Lord. And here's what we need to see. An abiding trust in the Lord, it's the only power strong enough to free us from insisting on our rights and demanding that other people give us what we deserve. It's the only power strong enough to do that. Why? Because men and women with an abiding trust in the Lord are confident that God is able to provide for all their needs, that God will be faithful to provide for all their needs, and thus they are free because God is providing for all their needs to spend all their time in relationship with others unselfishly, freely, and generously loving them and giving away all their stuff to take care of them. 
That's how faith in God plays out toward man. Radical and selfish generosity. And, and Lot didn't deserve that kind of radical and selfish generosity from Abram. And nor did Abram deserve radical, unselfish generosity from the Lord. Right? And yet, that is precisely what the Lord gave to him and promised to keep on giving to him all the way back in chapter 12. And friend, the same radical generosity is precisely what God has held out to you and promised to give you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Exact same thing. In the same way that Abram loved Lot and laid down his rights, and laid down his privileges to bring peace, so too Jesus Christ laid down his rights and laid down his privileges in order to bring peace between you and the Father. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, you want to talk about rights? (laughs) Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped? But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. How in the world was Jesus able to do that? It was through faith. It was through faith and the sovereign power and and goodness of his father. That's what freed Jesus to lay down his life for you, to die for you so you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And friends, it's the exact same faith, a sturdy trust in the sovereign care and provision and vindication of God that will free you to follow Jesus' example in disadvantaging yourself for the sake of pursuing peace and showing love. It's faith that does that. And this is so important because as Americans, what do we think? Well, if there's one thing you may not touch, it's my rights. Right? My rights. No touchy or I'll sue your pants off. We think of our rights as something sacred. Rights as a spouse. Some of you teenagers, my rights as a child. (laughs) Rights as an employee, rights as a customer, rights as a church member. And if you want to see World War III, I dare you to not give me something I deserve. Try it. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And and yet, friends, though that is our our bent as Americans, you know what following Jesus requires from you? It requires the exact opposite of that. Exact opposite. Jesus doesn't say, follow me and I'll enhance the fulfillment of all your precious American rights. What does he say? Lose your life. Lay down your life. 
do what I have shown you how to do myself. And there will be times when we have to insist on our rights, don't hear what I'm not saying, in order to protect ourselves or to protect other people with humility. The Apostle Paul did that, right, in, in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. But, but there should be, think of it this way, that there should be a noticeably cruciform pattern to the way you relate with people in your home, in your workplace, in your church, a, a pattern of unselfishness. A pattern of self-denying love that's, that's fueled by faith and delights to imitate the very generosity that God has shown to you. And, and let me tell you, if, if that thought seems new to you, if you think, giving up my rights, say what? Well, you know what happens when you stop selfishly insisting on your rights and you turn away from that and faith frees you from that? to genuinely love people, here's what you'll find happens, okay? You'll find yourself freely and joyfully giving away the very things that once enslaved you, starting with your money and possessions. That's what faith does. Faith frees us to demonstrate the generosity of God by exchanging trust in the riches we possess, right, for trust in the God who provides. It's the first expression of faith here. It frees us to practice, demonstrate the generosity of God. Point number two, faith enables us to inherit the blessings of God. So it, it frees us to practice the generosity of God, and it also enables us to inherit the blessings of God. Now, now back to the story here with Abram and Lot. How should Lot have responded to his uncle? What should he have said? Well, he should have said, no, Abram, you choose first, and I'll take what's left. He should have said that. But what did he actually do? Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It looked amazing, right? It, it looked like the best car on the lot. It looked like the biggest cookie on the plate, at least so it appeared to him. Now the fact that Abram was willing to go to the east if Lot chose to go west strongly suggests that there was nothing inherently wrong about going into the Jordan River Valley. But, please hear this, Lot's selfishness toward Abram had some really serious unforeseen consequences. Really serious. Look at verse 11. After he chose for himself, notice that, all of the Jordan Valley, verse 11, he journeyed east, verse 12, and he settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. What's going on here? Well, Abram is relating to Lot on the basis of what? Faith. Abram's relating to Lot on the basis of faith, an abiding trust in the Lord. What is Lot relating to Abram on the basis of? Greed. Greed, yeah. And sight, right? His own sight. An abiding trust in, in what looked good in his own eyes. That's what Lot's doing. And, and think about this. What did selfish grasping for what appears good in his own eyes 
lead Lot to do next? What led him to spiritual compromise? That's what it did. It led him to the company of the wicked and to Sodom. It led him to settle among those who were great sinners against the Lord. And you know what happens to Lot eventually because he chose to do that? Because he he grasps selfishly for what riches looked good in his own eyes? If you read in Genesis 19, we're going to get there in a couple weeks, Lot loses loses everything. The Lord destroys Sodom, including Lot's wife. It's quite a contrast to the Lord preserving Sarai. And Lot escapes with his life and his two daughters. But that's it. All his flocks, all his herds, all his tents, all his riches, gone. John Calvin says that this way, Lot, when he fancied he was living in paradise, was nearly plunged into the depths of hell. It's true. When you live your life on the basis of unbelieving, fear-filled selfishness, can I extract the maximum possible good from man instead of receiving the blessings of God? That path that you are on will not lead to blessing, friends. It will always lead to destruction. Always. James 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's the end of selfishness fueled by unbelief and fear. But if I'm Abram in in that moment, right? Abram hasn't seen the Lord destroy Sodom. He hasn't seen Lot lose everything. We know that, but rewind to that moment when he's laying down his rights by faith in God. If I'm Abram, here's what I'm thinking, okay? I just lost something really good. Really good. I mean, it's one of those thanks a lot, lot. The way this was supposed to work is that I say the thing Christians are supposed to say. You choose first then you say the thing Christians are supposed to say, no, brother, you choose first. And then I say, really? That's awfully kind of you. And then I get to choose first without feeling guilty about choosing first because that's what I wanted to do all along. But now I've hidden that behind a cloak of being generous. That's what I would have been thinking if I was Abram. But that's not faith, friends. That's not faith. That's a facade. That's a joke. Abram's faith was genuine. And the genuineness of his faith was good news for Abram because it's only those who live by faith in God who inherit the blessings of God. The blessings of God do not just wind up willy-nilly everywhere like throwing grass seed on your lawn. I don't know where it's going to end up, but it'll be on the lawn. That's good enough for me. No. The blessings of God follow. The gaze in favor of the Lord is directed toward what? Toward men and women of faith. 
Toward men and women who say, Lord, instead of trying to extract the good life from other people, insisting on my rights, I will trust you and I will receive it as a gift. That's where the, that, that's where the plane of God's blessing lands. It only lands on the runway of faith. Look at verse 14, chapter 13. Look what happens when the plane lands. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Sound familiar? Lot lifted his up. The Lord told Abram to lift his up. And look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I mean, isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's not... That, that is total contrast to, if I'm Abram, what I would be thinking about where this entire material prosperity ship is actually going right now. Total opposite. And, and notice the Lord doesn't say, hey, Abram, I saw that you disadvantaged yourself to make peace with Lot. You get to live with the joy of knowing you did what was right, Boy Scout. I mean, you don't have the best land anymore. You're stuck with the old clunker till you die. But what does all that land stuff matter anyway? You did what was right. You have a clean conscience. Congratulations, Abram. He doesn't do that, right? A, a clear conscience is a precious gift, friends. We may do a whole series on the conscience at some point. But, but when we choose to walk by faith, and that faith overflows in radical generosity toward other people, we receive far more than just the joy of knowing that we did what was right. We inherit nothing less, listen, than the abundant, unmerited, and eternal favor of Almighty God. That's what you inherit. You don't just get a pat on the back and a pin on your Christian vest. The, the favor and blessing abundant, unmerited, eternal of God comes crashing down upon you. That's what happens. So let's unpack that very quickly. First, the blessing of God is abundant. It's not stingy. It's not stingy. What, what, did, what did God promise Abram? Abram, because you are willing to give away your land, check this out, Abram. I'm going to give some of Lot's territory back to you. No, I'm going to give all of it to you, Abram. All of it. It's abundant, friends. Second, the blessing of God is unmerited. It's not earned. Okay, notice the Lord didn't say, congratulations, Abram. This was actually all a reality TV show. We caught you on camera. And because of your remarkable faith, you've now earned all the land. No, what does he say? All the land that you see, I will what? Verse 15. I will give it to you, pal. Friends, remember this. We don't own anything. We don't own anything, okay? Nothing. Everything we possess, everything we don't possess, it's all God's. We, we can't ever earn the blessing of God, nor, hear this, is the act of prayer some kind of sheriff that we enlist or we pay to help us wrangle or repossess what was rightly ours all along. 
Every blessing you and I receive from the hand of God is an unmerited gift. We're not repossessing our rights. It's a pure gift, only a gift. It's unmerited. It's not earned. Third, the blessing of God is eternal. It's not fleeting. You know, I mentioned we're going to go on some, some of you, some vacations this summer. Okay, my experience with vacations is they are very, very, very fleeting. They're amazing today and they are gone tomorrow. The blessing of Almighty God that faith inherits is not like that. It's an eternal blessing. It's not a fleeting blessing. Notice the Lord says, all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So it's abundant, it's unmerited, it's eternal. That's what the blessing of God is like. And hear this, friend, brother or sister, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is your inheritance. That's your inheritance, abundant, unmerited and eternal. Why, why do we know that that's our inheritance in Christ? How do you know that it's not the preacher saying, hey, by the way, I got a word from the Lord and what God promised to Abram is also good for you. Let's stand up and sing. Because good communicators can work that kind of magic. So you should be carefully thinking right now, if I've taught you well through the way I preach, what question do we ask? How do I know that's true? How do we know that the blessings God promised to give Abram, abundant, unmerited, eternal, are the very blessings that God holds out to us today in Christ? Look at verse 16. Look carefully. The Lord's promise to Abram here reveals as much. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Translation. Abram, Back in chapter 12, I told you I was going to make you a great nation. I'm going to see that greatness and raise you some more. You know what you're going to be now? You're going to be an innumerable nation. So great, you can't even count the greatness of the nation. How does God fulfill that promise? Well, he does it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abram, he's the ultimate offspring of Abram. And all who are united to Christ because of their trust in Christ become offspring of Abram. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And you know how large that group of heirs and offspring is? Revelation 7. Listen carefully. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. What's the point? Every genuine follower of Jesus Christ is an offspring of Abraham. That's the point. So how do we inherit the promise God made Abram? Listen carefully here. Do we have to move all the way over halfway across the world to the nation state of Israel and live in that land in order to inherit the promise? No. Why not? Well, the land was a physical gift 
that God gave to a physical people, but it wasn't just a physical gift, right? It was a spiritual symbol, a spiritual type. It was the place where God's presence was uniquely manifested, the place where God's favor uniquely rested. To, to live in the physical land was to experience the blessing of God and to know the favor of God. That's, that's what was tied to the physical land. But on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, think carefully about this. We we no longer travel physically to Israel to experience God's presence and enjoy his favor. I am not downing those of you who have gone to Israel and God used that in a wonderful way in your life. Don't write me about that, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that instead of having to travel physically to a certain land to experience the blessing and favor of God, what do we do now? We cling to Jesus Christ by faith. And it's in the person of Christ and through trust in Christ. Lord, I look to you to receive all your blessings as a gift. That is where we know the blessing and favor of God. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children, heirs of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So let's take this inheritance in Christ thing out of the stratosphere. What is it actually? What are we actually inheriting? Well, our inheritance in Christ as adopted children of God is nothing less than the very same intimacy with God the Father that Jesus Christ enjoys. You're a co heir. You're not a junior partner. You're not a leftovers picker upper. (laughs) You're a co-heir with Christ. And so our inheritance in Christ that is only received through faith first and foremost consists of enjoying and knowing the same intimacy with God the Father that God the Son enjoys with God the Father. And yet that spiritual blessing it brings in its wake all manner of physical blessings. Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, insert flocks, herds, tents, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's what Jesus said. Why is he talking about eternal life? Well, because the inheritance God has promised us, it culminates in something. What's that? In the new heavens and the new earth that awaits the return of Jesus Christ when he makes all things new and there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. As Hebrews 11.10 says of Abram, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. New heavens and earth. That, that, That is not, friend, an inheritance that moth or rust can destroy. That's not an inheritance that your angry spouse can steal. That's not an inheritance that getting fired at work can take away from you. That's not an inheritance that a crash in the stock market can rob you of. That's what kind of inheritance? 1 Peter 1.4, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept for you, friend. Faith enables us to surely inherit the blessing of God frees us to demonstrate the generosity of God. It enables us to receive and inherit the blessings of God. I'll conclude with this. 
I think all of the truth we've seen in here presents a challenge. And that would be this. It's the fact that some of us struggle to walk by faith, not because we believe that God isn't worthy of our trust. We just don't like what he has to offer. If we're being honest. You you don't sit there and consciously deny that Christians inherit the blessings of God in Christ. You simply believe, if you're being honest, that the riches of this world are a better treasure, a more satisfying reward. Your, your, your faith in Christ is weak because your love for the world is so strong. And friend, if that's you, please hear this. It's only the eye of faith that sees things for what they really are. So, so Lot lifted up his eyes and saw what he thought was true. What did he think was true? The good life is that way. Abram lifted up his eyes and saw what was actually true. Right? All that he could ever ask or imagine and so much more the Lord would be faithful to provide. If you're willing to imitate Abram, and his faith, then in due time, friend, God will give the same priceless inheritance to you. But it takes faith to see the inheritance. If you are clinging to loving the things of this world and refusing to let go of them until God finds a way to prove to your mere sight and your unbelief that he's better, you'll never see it. Only faith sees the inheritance for what it really is. And you know what that means? That means we need God to do a miracle in our hearts. You need God to do a miracle. You need God to do for you what he did for the Apostle Paul because in in Paul's eyes and in the eyes of his peers, this guy had it made. He had it made. He attained the, the pinnacle of success as a teacher of the law. And then one day, what did the Lord do? He did a miracle in Paul's heart. First, he blinded his eyes, showing Paul in a physical sense that you're not seeing anything for what it really is, pal. And then what did he do? He opened Paul's eyes and he gave him the gift of faith. He restored his sight. And when Paul lifted up his eyes, these are the kinds of things he cried out, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Friends, it's Jesus Christ and Christ alone and and the eye of faith that can only see him for what he is that will empower you and enable you to exchange trust in the riches you possess for trust in the God who provides. And because we need God to do that miracle, I want to pray for it right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would do the same work in our hearts that you did for Paul. Lift up our eyes. 
through the power of your word, through the power of the gospel, lift up our eyes. In the same way you lifted up Paul's eyes and lifted up Abram's eyes, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see the glorious inheritance that you are holding out to us in Christ even now. Lord, help us to walk by faith and lay down our rights. Help us to peel our hands off the riches we possess and to cling to Christ. Help us to long and hunger and thirst for the inheritance you've given us in him more than, more than anything else, the joy of knowing you. Lord, you alone give what is truly good. And as Abram walked through the land, Father, fixing his gaze on the full extent of your blessings, would you help us this week to do the same as we meditate on your word? Confident that you'll provide all that you have promised to provide. Lord Jesus, please do a miracle in our hearts and empower us to exchange trust in the riches we possess for trust in the God who provides. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.